Welcome back to the UMentor Talk Show, where we invite an expert each week to hear about their incredible journey and career paths. On today's show, we'll be hearing from Zahra Nathani. As an optometrist, Zahra takes care of people's sight while inspiring them to pursue their vision. This week's show is brought to you by Project Visual. I'm Fatima Al-Sayed, your mentor host. You can tune into the talk show every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can follow the link on the Facebook Live video and ask questions there. Zahra, how are you today? Good, Alhamdulillah, how are you? Good, doing well. In the promo video for this episode, you're quoted saying that the only thing worse than being blind is having sight without vision. What does that statement mean? So this is actually a famous quote by Helen Keller, who is famously um, blind. And I work every day to improve people's eyesight or give them the best eyesight possible. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, and ties into the talk today, um, having eyesight is one thing, obviously it's a big thing to help you in your daily life, but it also having a vision for your future, living every day for a purpose, um, okay. all ties in together and um, is ultimately what we try and do every day. So what brought you, brought you to this field? What interests you in it? Um, so I've always been, growing up, I was knew I wanted to do something science or a related or medical related um, and I kind of shadowed a bunch of different professions growing up to kind of see where I would um, prefer what type of job I would prefer what mm -hmm. made me excited every day to do and kind of went from there um, so I shadowed a bunch of jobs um, and optometry was something that really appealed to me. Um, I really enjoyed that you were working with patients every day and you worked with the public and you could provide services to enhance people's life and really make a difference. And um, I also like the fact that with optometry, it is a flexible career in the sense that you can, to a certain extent, pick how many days a week you want to work mm -hmm. or the hours and that sort of thing. So it was overall a very appealing um, profession for me. Did you know about the profession before you got into it? Like, were you exposed to it as, at a young age? I did. Um, my uncle is an optician, which is okay. um, somebody, um, and he... Um, always worked in the profession. So I kind of saw it from that point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and he has his own store. So I did grow up to a certain extent exposed to it. So mm -hmm. I knew that career option was available to me. Um, so I, in a way, I did grow up with it. What was your career path in school like? So I took a bit of an unconventional route. Mm -hmm. I completed my high school in Canada, in Toronto, Canada. Um, at 17, I moved to Birmingham, UK, where I completed a four-year optometry degree, a master's of optometry degree there. So you moved I, all the way to England. <laughs> I did. I moved across the big pond right in the middle. And I, I, loved, I loved my experience there, um, and I'm glad I did it. Um, after that, I moved to Southampton, which is south of England and I worked there as an optometrist for a couple of years. Um, fate changed and I met my husband and I ended up moving to the United States. Um, my optometry degree in the UK was not completely accepted here so I um, undertook a two-year accelerated optometry program in Boston 
and then earned my doctor of optometry. And then since then, I moved again to Houston, Texas, and that's where I work right now in mostly private practice as an optometrist. So what influenced your decision to move to England instead of going to school in the States or in Canada? Um, so there was a couple of reasons why I decided to move. Um, firstly, if you go through the path of going to optometry school through the U.S. or Canada, at least for Canada where I grew up, you would do um, high school, complete that, and then you would do a three or four year undergraduate degree in say life sciences or health sciences. Um, and then after that, you would apply to optometry school. In Canada, optometry school is a little bit more difficult to get into just because there are only two schools of optometry and one is uh, French speaking only. Um, so by me finishing high school and going to the UK, I could skip essentially that undergraduate degree. Um, and instead of using those three to four years to do an undergraduate degree, I elected to do my optometry degree first and then use practical experience as an optometrist mm -hmm. um, before I moved back. In, in the end, um, as I said, I did the four years of optometry and then I ended up moving back and doing another two years. So whether it's um, that much time saving, it's more where you value your time in between either doing an undergraduate or working those few years. Mm -hmm. um, the other reason I wanted a change of scene, I wanted to move away um, for school and kind of gain that independence. And, you know, throughout my um, four years there, I would work every weekend um, to sort of support myself. And it was really uh, a growing experience. Um, and yeah, those were the main reasons why I decided to move across. Was it beneficial when you came back to, or you went, moved to the States to do those two years of school after having been working? Absolutely. So definitely it's pretty much like going through optometry school the second time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in some areas, because I had that experience as an optometrist, I knew a lot. And, you know, I've, I've done that every single day. And then in some things that are, you know, more medical related or um, a little bit more complicated, sometimes, you know, you pick on things the first time you learn it, but the second time you learn it, you pick up on all those other smaller things that you may have forgotten or not picked up quite as well. So going through those additional two years really I found helped me as a clinician and being a much, much better clinician than that. So someone who is trying to take, let's say the traditional route of going into optometry school, what would their career path look like? So um, traditionally, either in the United States or Canada, um, you would finish high school, um, you would do three or four year undergraduate degree. If, you know, coming out of high school, you're like, yes, I want to do optometry. That's what my end goal is. There are, I know, at least in the US, certain programs that do have a sort of combined program where you would do three years of undergraduate. And then as long as your uh, GPA is at a certain level, you're kind of entered into optometry school mm -hmm. and your first year of optometry school would complete your bachelor's degree. So it's more um, accelerated. Exactly. But, so, you know, that's if you kind of know that you definitely want to do it. I know sometimes out of high school, it's confusing and you're not really sure. Um, so you can just do a normal three or four year undergraduate degree. You would take an ODE exam, which is like an optometry entrance exam. Um, and then you can, a lot of Canadians, because as I said earlier, um, getting into optometry school in Canada can be 
a little more difficult. Um, there are many optometry schools in the U.S. And actually, like, even when I was in Boston, probably a good 40% of the normal four-year program, 40% of the classes were all Canadian. So um, <laughs> people kind of moved down and then moved back. So um, that's generally, so you would do three or four years undergraduate plus four years of optometry school. And that's usually the more conventional path in North America. Can you describe a day in your life on the job and what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I mostly work in private practice. So um, I would come in at eight or nine o'clock. Um, I would have patients booked for me for the entire day. Um, I usually like to get there a little early and review my patients, and especially if they're new to me or they've been here before, but I personally haven't seen them. Um, I like to just review them and make sure that you know, when I enter that room to examine them, I've got a good history and they know that so that, you know, we're not starting from scratch. They know I've read up on, you know, any previous surgeries or treatments I've had. Mm -hmm. um, and so my patients are booked depending on what type of appointment it is every 15 to 30 minutes. Um, so there are different types of eye exams that um, we do. One would be like a routine eye exam. Mm -hmm. So that would involve, um, either a new patient or an established patient and you just go through a history and figure out why they're here, also get their medical um, information and ocular health. Mm -hmm. um, we go ahead and check um, eye muscles, eye pressure, and we check people's um, prescription or if they need glasses or not or contacts. Um, and then we go ahead and check the front surface of the eye and also the back, which is the retina. Um, on your retina, you can have a bunch of um, diseases in there. Um, for example, diabetes, high blood pressure can affect the back of the eye. We mm -hmm. also screen for things like eye diseases, like um, glaucoma, macular degeneration. And usually with the um, um, looking at the back of the eye or the retina, we usually do put some eye drops in and dilate the pupil so we get mm -hmm. a better view of the back of the eye. So that would be kind of a routine patient. Sometimes we have, you know, people who want to try contacts for the first time. We also see um, people who are pre and post-op. So mm -hmm. if someone elects to have LASIK surgery or cataract surgery, so we usually manage them after their surgery and beforehand. Um, we also see um, at least in a day, I'll have one or two at the least ocular sort of eye emergencies sometimes. Mm -hmm. So whether that's somebody who slept in their contacts overnight and, you know, woke up with a raging infection or um, inflammations in the eye, people who get foreign bodies in the eye or they're doing some work on metal and a metal piece goes into the eye. So we do those minor procedures and remove mm -hmm. things. So you do get a little rush on the job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> um, seeing routine patients is great. Um, and then just to add a little bit of mix in there, so it was nice to see. <laughs> Maybe not so nice for the patient, but more fun for us to kind of, you know, figure out what's going on. And mm -hmm. we can um, at least help them. Yeah, in most yeah. states, optometrists can prescribe. So that would be prescribing eye drops, whether that's steroid, antibiotic, and a couple other ones that we have. We can also um, prescribe oral medications if necessary. So it really gives you a nice scope to, you can, you know, diagnose, manage, and treat most of your patients, which is very rewarding and very nice. And what would you say is the most... Um valuable experience your profession has given you an opportunity to explore? Um, I think just working with the public and 
um, with optometry, um, especially with children, um, their eyesight is um, very, we call it plastic. It's very, um, it can change very quickly between mm-hmm. when they're born to eight years old. So in that time frame, we like to see children, um, especially because kids, for example, even if it's just they need glasses, a lot of the times they're, they don't really know that how they're seeing is wrong because they don't know any better. So we do like to see kids between that age because if they do need glasses, we like to correct it. And just seeing the look on their face when they can finally see the leaves on the trees when they go outside or they actually actually can finally see what someone's writing on the board at school. Um, So those sort of moments are great. And, you know, between those ages is the time that we can help kids the most with their vision. After the age of eight, it's very difficult to change things with, you know, if they have an eye turn or if they have a very large prescription. Um, So that part of it has been really, really rewarding. Um, And you can really impact someone's life from a young age. What would you say is something that you wish you'd known before you got into this career? Um, I would say something that maybe took me for a surprise. I always knew that I would be working with patients in the public. Um, And I knew I would encounter people from all walks of life. But I guess in some ways, sometimes things took me off guard. Um, For example, um, just, you know, an an eye exam, usually, you know, you would spend 30 minutes to an hour maximum with a patient. But just in that time, you get to know somebody, um, even in my, you know, um, several years of my career, which is definitely not being a decade yet, there have been plenty of people who kind of you know, they just explain to you their life or they even cry in your chair um, just to let things out. They feel comfortable. And um, it, for example, here in the U.S., just a couple of days ago, um, a, a gentleman had heart surgery and he was pretty young. And um, unfortunately, he lost his job because he had the surgery. Then he could no longer have insurance and then he couldn't get the medications that he needed. And then that started to affect his eyes. So just you know, hearing that whole thing and you just try your best to, um, you know, listen to people and try and help them as best you can. Um, And the other thing that I have learned is just talking to people. And I realized that, you know, we all are experts in our own field. For example, I, I, I know every, you know, I know a lot of things to do with eyes. Um, but just talking to patients and seeing what they do on a daily basis, everyone is kind of, you know, they know what their expertise is in their field. So it's kind of nice to step back sometimes and realize that all of us need these experts in different jobs for us to all function as a society. Um, and it's great how everything kind of comes together in the end. Do you find that that makes your job difficult or does it make you take things home with you? Um, not necessarily. It makes you um, appreciate um, and makes you grateful for perhaps mm-hmm. some things that you have that others don't. It also makes you feel that maybe you can help somebody or make a difference or even mm-hmm. some advice that they didn't know that could, you know, um, for example... Easier. Exactly. Like, for example, um, diabetics, they can, if, if diabetes is um, not controlled, and um, it's not controlled 
for a while, they it ultimately without treatment can lead to blindness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just don't know that. <laughs> so um, just even um, getting people to be aware of, you know, conditions and what it can affect really does make an impact. Um, and then in optometry, there are cases where even if sometimes we look at the back of people's eyes and they may be having headaches and we kind of look at their optic nerves and we're like, Hey, that, that doesn't look quite right. And Mm -hmm. in some cases we can diagnose things as um, things like brain tumors or high pressure in the brain and that sort sort of thing. So there is a lot that we can do and um, it's, it's been a great and rewarding profession. Mm What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who is entering the same career path? Um, so if, you've, or if you haven't decided optometry, you should, but um, the best thing, you know, work hard in school, it really, really does pay off in the end mm-hmm. and really find your career path. Um, Sometimes, you know, you may not know straight up out of high school what you want to do. And sometimes you do. And if you do, that's great. You, you know, you've got your vision sorted and you can work towards it. Um, and if you don't, um, take it into your own hands. Shadow people, shadow different um, professions. Listen to career talks like this. Um, because like growing up to a certain extent, we, for example, for me, people were like, oh, you're either a doctor or you're an engineer. And that was kind of the two main um, sort of pathways but there are so many other jobs um, in between those two and outside of that realm um, with great lifestyles and just explore it and always have a goal so don't just do a degree for the sake of doing it think of it as okay this is my pathway to this sort of job at the end of the day or have some sort of vision Um, and with optometry it's great because um, you can get into, after you finish your optometry degree, you can um, do primary care optometry, which is um, sort of the run-of-the-mill type of patients. You can always specialize. You can specialize in pediatrics or children. You can specialize in specialty contact lenses. You can specialize in um, people who have brain injuries, and afterwards they um, lose certain abilities to use their eyes. So we kind of do exercises to build on that. You can either go into sports vision where we kind of have um, vision therapy or exercises to help athletes with hand-eye coordination. So there's a there's a lot of subspecialties within it that um, usually you find something that you really, really like um, within it. We have two questions from the audience. The first one is, what advice could you give high schoolers listening about whether to take the optometrist route versus another medical route? Um, I think that depends on what you prefer. So, um, or what, what really interests you. For example, I being in high, when I was in high school, I was kind of thinking about what do I wanna do? I wanna do something medical. Do I wanna be a doctor? Do I want to be a psychologist, optometrist, dentist, pharmacist? And I just went ahead and went to um, people who were doing it and just spent like a day in their life and kind of saw. So for example, like 
I hated teeth. So I didn't become a dentist because I really didn't enjoy that. So, um, <laughs> and so that's part of it is you need to be interested in it. And a lot of times the professions in medicine, you know, you usually don't change throughout your life. You kind of stay in that same field. So really trying to get a good idea of what your end of the day job would be. Um, interest is a big factor. Another factor for me personally was lifestyle. Um, I ended up, I mean, in total in school, I ended up um, you, um, sort of spending six years post high school in actual optometry school or education, mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit less than if you became a physician, for example. Um, and then the other factor for me that uh, that really appealed to me about optometry is that it's a very flexible profession. Yeah. Um, that, you know, if I want to work full time or more than full time, that's totally an option for me. If I choose to work three to four days a week, that works too in whatever hours. So it's really flexible in that way. And the other thing is um, with optometry in particular, you know, you go to work, you see patients, you help them, you finish all your notes, and then you go home and you don't necessarily bring your work home with you. You can kind of have a good balance, uh, in my opinion, between, you know, um, work and life balance. Um, mm -hmm. So that's another factor that really pulls me into the optometry direction. Does having that flexibility in your schedule help you to balance life and work? Absolutely. Um, when I was in England, sometimes, uh, a lot of the times I actually used to work six to seven days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be because I like to travel. So I used to like to take extended holidays. So yeah. I worked up for that. Um, right now, um, my husband's a physician and he, his schedule is not necessarily, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five. So mm -hmm. um, I can kind of pick days where he's working and then not pick um, other days so that we can actually spend some time together. So it works great. And, you know, that's the nice thing is you've got that flexibility mm -hmm. um, to um, maintain that balance to um, what suits your needs at the time. Mm -hmm. Another question from the audience. Um, they're asking about your trip to Af Africa. You went there to give back. Can you discuss how that experience was like? Absolutely. Um, I went a few years ago, I think four years ago, um, and I went to East Africa and they had an eye camp over there. Um, there were people, people who would travel a couple days before just to get in to, um, for us, to see people who, you know, didn't have access to um, eye care services. A lot of it was um, older people who had cataracts and pretty advanced cataracts. And honestly, they felt as if they were blind and they would, you know, never be able to see again. But a simple cataract surgery really changed their life. So mm -hmm. we saw a lot of cataract patients. Um, we had a surgeon with us who um, did the surgeries. Um, so we'd see them before and afterwards. And then there was just the normal, you know, um, for pretty much everybody, um, a natural change that happens in your eyes that you start to need reading glasses as you get older, sort of over mm -hmm. 40s. And people were experiencing that and they just felt like they were losing their vision. But just a simple pair of reading glasses really changed some people um, in the sense that they could, you know, finally do weaving that they used to do to um, keep their livelihood and they couldn't do it because they just needed a pair of reading glasses mm -hmm. that they didn't know they needed. Um, so it was, it was truly life changing. And again, you are grateful and you, um, for what you have and, 
I'd love the opportunity to go back and volunteer my services even more. And the last question from the audience, how has being a Muslim helped you in your profession? Um, it's funny because um, I feel that when I was in England, for example, and I was working in Southampton or south of the U uh, of England, mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of Muslims around that area. Um, and a lot of the times I was the first Muslim person they necessarily even saw in real life. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. They would see it on TV, but they wouldn't have actually seen somebody. And sometimes, you know, they would, they would be taken aback a little bit. A lot, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times people would be like, oh, you speak good English. And I was like, yes, <laughs> it's my first language. But um, a, a lot of the times it's, it's such an important thing because in some ways I was able to give them their first experience of a Muslim in in a lot of ways, discard maybe some of the preconceptions they had about Muslims mm -hmm. just from, you know, watching TV and that sort of thing. And a few of them would be like, hey, no offense, but why do you wear a headscarf or, you know, inquiring into it. And a lot of them are just misinformed. So it really um, gave me this opportunity to dispel stereotypes or show them what, a, you know, an ordinary Muslim is mm -hmm. like, you know, not that extremist that they're fed through the media. So um, that's been really rewarding, even when I moved to the United States and I was um, doing an externship in Vermont. Again, there wasn't, uh, I don't think there was any Muslims there um, in the area I worked. Um, so they really found it fascinating and it, it gave me that opportunity to spread what Islam is truly about and mm -hmm. um, hopefully model for them that, you know, we're just, we are all no, we're all just trying to get through this world, be good human beings to each other. And ultimately, we are all one human. Um, has it has like being a visible Muslim woman posed any difficulties for you throughout your career? Um, not necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't. I know um, many people have been asked, oh, um, you know, would you take off your headscarf for a job? Yeah. But that, not, that has not necessarily um, happened to me. Um, as I said, I, I got jobs in places where there weren't Muslims, so there was no discrimination in that sense. So personally, I have not encountered um, any sort of backlash from wearing a hijab or dressing. Mm -hmm. I think cause, because the media sometimes can discourage the youth to go out for those job opportunities or because of how they look or because of their headscarf. So what would you say to that generation? Honestly, if you... Um, you should be proud of if you do wear a headscarf or you do dress modestly, and you should be proud of the values that you have and your beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, even say, for example, someone did have a reservation about me wearing a headscarf, but by me um, being a decent human being, um, relating to other people, um, that really changes someone's opinion of you. And if you can get that across and say, hey, I'm just like you, um, I might dress a little different, but I'm a good human being. And a lot of the times you really do change people's opinions. And, and that's what's kind of rewarding is that you can, I mean, one person at a time, you can make your little difference that yeah. people are like, hey, you know, they're not bad. Um, I know, so kind of, she's, she's good. <laughs>
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, it's great. And also, you know, as I said, because working with the public, there's so many times um, in the few years that I've worked where people, you know, they ask and they're like, hey, I don't mean to be offensive, but why do you wear a headscarf or why do you guys believe certain things? Um, so it's a great way to spread the true Islam and, try and having that and open dialogue with people who are just absolutely curious. and then I'm always like you know it's uh, you can ask me anything you like you're not offending me in any way so um, just being open and you can you know one person at a time but you can definitely change um, views of people for sure so getting back to careers if you would give one message to inspire the next generation what would you say to them um, kind of goes back to that famous Helen Keller quote, but just have a vision for what you want to do. Work really hard in school. Um, it does pay off in the end. And um, do something that um, inspires you every day and you end up giving back to people because that's ultimately the most important thing. Um, and if you're not sure shadow a bunch of people the internet is around now you can easily research things and just take life into your own hands have a vision for what you want to do career-wise um, also in your mental health in your spiritual health each one should have a goal and something you are constantly attaining to thank you so much for your valuable advice today and your insight no problem you were just listening to the UMentor talk show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show. If you want to reach out to today's speaker or speakers from any of our previous shows to ask these professionals any questions you may have, just visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash for the future slash groups. Or you can visit the UMentor website and hit the link for online platform. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for another speaker and more stories. Thank you for listening to our panel today on Facebook Live and for asking questions through our Zoom webinar. You can always catch up on previous shows on SoundCloud or on our iTunes podcast.